Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I have a special guest co-host. It's me, Adam Sass, standing in for Matthew Rodriguez. I'm co-hosting people. Yay! Adam is one of our Scoobies. He's been on a bunch of times. Um, mm-hmm. So he's And I will in. be as adroit at co-hosting as when... Buffy was out of town and Willow had to take over for <laughs> You just have to be nicer to me than Matthew is. <laughs> I know. Do I got to mean it up? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Um, and today we are joined by returning special guest. Uh, John Levitt, the Gilesophile. Yes. And our first time guest, Meg Ellison. Hi. Very happy to Welcome. be here, guys. Um, Welcome. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, And Meg, so since you're a first-time guest, give us your Buffy origin. So my Buffy origin story is pretty strange. I don't think anybody's had one like mine yet, so that's uh, I feel new and different. Uh, I was was a little too young for the show when it was first airing, although it's totally in my lane. It's absolutely things I would have been into. I just wasn't aware of it. So I was thumbing through the channels back when we used to do that, and I ran across the scene in the final episode of Buffy where Willow does the thing. Oh my god. Ooh, okay. It was so dramatic and so captivating, and I didn't understand what was going on, but I, I I couldn't turn away from it. I was utterly transfixed. So I was looking at it and I knew through, you know, just general cultural sedimentary yeah. information. I was like, this is Buffy. So I had to go back to the beginning and start from there. And that was back when you had to like get the DVDs somewhere and bring them to your home and put them <laughs> physically in a machine. <laughs> so I was really dedicated and I, I watched the whole thing without stopping front to back and then began to bond with all of my friends and ex-girlfriends who were in love with Buffy and to read critical theory about Buffy starting with the book Why Buffy Matters, which was huge for me. I've also read that book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is somewhere in my parents' basement. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, Meg, I love, wait, so you had dated people who loved Buffy but still like hadn't gotten into it or like because you got into it? So I had a long time on again, off again, very stormy relationship with this girl that I knew in high school and she was in love with Buffy and it was something that she used to bond with other girls who weren't me. And I think <laughs> oh. that may have been why I avoided it during that time in my life. All right. I mean, that makes sense. I would have done the same thing. It's funny. Um, I mean, we were talking earlier, like there's a lot of like women I know that weren't like my best friend, my two best friends throughout like high school um, one, I, she's been a guest because I've gotten her since into the show, Kimberly Ann, but my other best friend, she was really into sex in the city and I was really into Buffy. So we both mm-hmm. like, she knew about Buffy and she, and we were the two queer ones and she like has like a vague grasp on Buffy just because I would watch it so much. And she'd be like, all right guys. So we are here today to discuss the season four episode, a new man. Um, and John is the resident Giles super fan. Um, which is I'm an why. Anthony Stewart head head. Ah, mm. oh, clever it's, girl. Um, it's underrated gem, a new man. You know, it is. I have to say, um, it's it's not going to leap out on anyone's top ten yet. It should maybe. It's a good, solid, surprisingly fun, consistently funny episode. Yes, it's a good Buffy birthday episode. Yeah, Nothing I, bad happens to her. I think. I mean, aside happens. from thinking her mentor is killed. <laughs> or, I mean, I mean, she's wrapped up in this shenanigans. But well, this it, is like the less traumatic of the birthdays. So it's funny because I forget. Like, I think if 
I forget unless I'm watching this episode that it's Buffy's birthday. Um, cause usually it's, you know, centered around something terrible happening to Buffy. Um, mm. and yeah, so I, I, for, I, like until I put it on, I was like, oh, right. This is a Buffy's birthday episode. I forgot. Um, it's, it's pretty incidental. Like they yeah. don't make a big deal out of it. Right. Um, right, right, right. I do have to say in the be- very beginning, the way they surprise her, like Giles says later, oh, it wouldn't have been my plan. You have enough things jumping out. Giles is right. Like. It feels like a very bad idea to surprise the Slayer in that way. Like, she might have accidentally killed someone or something if they had, like, jumped too soon. Um, They were carrying weapons. Yeah. (laughs) They totally were. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know. Every surprise party... This is where I reveal my bias against surprise (laughs) parties. I, um... I'm just... Just plan a good thing for me. I don't (laughs) require, you know, the the shock. I, I don't require the the uh, performative beforehand where no one gives a shit about your birthday. <laughs> and then, well, you're surprised. Everyone cares. Well, um, you know it's a good yeah. surprise? People being organized and on time and upfront with their plans. That's a surprise. God, oh, my God. My mouth would be on the floor. I'd be like, I am so shocked. You all got it together really well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite part of a surprise... <laughs> My favorite part of a surprise is where you know that you should be dressed really well and have your makeup done before people take a million fucking pictures of you. Uh, That's my favorite part. You know, Meg, that's a really good point because they were, like, hardcore making out in bed. You're not, like, ready to be, like, presentable after doing that ever. Yeah. (laughs) I... uh, No. So, yeah, no. So no surprise parties. I'm sure Buffy would have loved to have you know, everybody kind of just put their heads together and say, hey, listen, we're going to go to Red Robin and then we'll go here <laughs> and we'll do this. End of day. Yeah. Uneventful. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I do. It's weird because the season definitely builds towards this Giles as the outsider moment, but I feel like it almost does it subtly where like you don't quite realize it until this, until it's like telling you in this episode look, Giles is at her birthday party. He feels, like, awkward. Um, And it's weird that this is the first time Giles meets Riley. And, like, it would make sense if it were Joyce, because we haven't seen her, but we've seen Giles in every episode. Um, Yeah. They kind of of put a pin on that when Buffy says, like, oh, I thought I told you. I guess I forgot. It's like the show saying, oh, wait, we forgot to introduce these characters. <laughs> yeah, honestly, and- it's it's more of a read on Riley than it is on Giles being <laughs> out of touch. It's real, like, Riley is super hardcore, like, Anne from Arrested Development in this where, like, she's <laughs> her. Up and everyone, Giles is like, her? No, and it, there's, there's a problem throughout this season of trying to reintegrate Giles into their life since they're no longer in high, in high school and he's moved on as not her, her watcher, then how does he fit and what role does he perform? And he's not even really her father figure anymore, so there's just an endless awkward bump for season four. We, we've talked a lot about how season four, there's kind of a lot of that in general with the storytelling where they're like trying to get their bearings on. Because I mean, it's weird. Like I was thinking about it even in terms of season five, like season five, they have the magic box and season four, they don't really have like a place where they're always hanging out. Right. Um, they kind of try Giles? to make it into Giles's apartment, yes. but even yeah. in that feels totally weird. Yeah. Because it's like not really like a hangout spot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so we get the the birthday scene. Um, I wanted to point out, I don't know if any of you thought, 
the Xander telling Anya, like, what did we talk about, comes off a little weird, even if, in the context of the show, it makes sense because she's new, newly human, and parentheses, strangely literal. But, like, I feel <laughs> like it comes off a little, like, honey, not now. Yeah, he's... He's irritatingly paternalistic toward her right? like, throughout the relationship, and that just escalates to the point where the first time she has a conversation with a friend of hers, the friend points out, why does he correct you? Why does he treat you like a father? It's weird. It's a yeah. bad dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because Xander's whole... Person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's very simple. He's terrible. Um... He is terrible. I think all the time about his very first line in the series... Oh, not the first line, but the first thing he ever says to Buffy is, can I have you? And it never gets any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that really what this first line is? Gosh, the first thing he says is, yep, <laughs> I couldn't make it up if I tried. Oh, Meg. Um, In Adam's last episode, um, Meg, he was on for the premiere, and we actually did discuss, there's a like point where it's like, oh, Xander's doing a good thing. There's like a one second where he's like telling Buffy how she's his hero. He thinks about what she's like, what she would do in a situation and how like, that's how he thinks of her as such a big hero. And it's like, oh, he's doing a nice thing. And then immediately he says like, but also sometimes when I'm alone, I think about what Buffy would be doing. And it's like, useless. oh God. Useless like, person. <laughs> he has to get those bare minimum moments in because we have to let him pass the bar that's on the goddamn floor for <laughs> Great white this dude. Exactly. And then basic humanity and he can go back to being a trash bag. (laughs) And then like by the end of season seven, his whole narrative is just him trying to like turn being mediocre into a superpower, which is like, wow, that's a there's a there's a term paper in there. Yeah, that's Um, one of the things I resent the most about him is not only does he do that, but he tries to infect someone else with that disease. He does that whole like like schmucky just way of thinking oh it's terrible dragged on into it terrible (laughs) so so what i'm sorry i interrupted you no no i was making an angry stifled (laughs) (laughs) that's the subtitle of the of the episode angry stifled (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, so i have the uh i have the producer's notes for this episode so if we just want to like set the scene in case in case someone listening to this has not seen the episode recently uh it's written by jane friend of the show jane uh, espenson yes and the producer said that they wanted to have ethan rain back into the mix and they wanted to and i quote get into giles midlife crisis episode it was the first time we got to deal with a metaphor that was the adult and not teen oriented there were a couple ideas being kicked around we were talking about a portal We were talking about him becoming younger again, or becoming older, him recapturing his youth, or becoming, I don't know, but we were kicking around the idea of getting teenaged actors to play teenage versions of Giles and Ethan, and to have young Ethan try to seduce Buffy. Ew. That was an intriguing idea, but ultimately we went with the pretty straight-on metaphor of questioning himself in the middle of his life and turning into a monster. I'm glad they went with that, yeah. (laughs) What makes I love the, like, trying to seduce. Like, I was on board. Not the words we use. Like, considering how sleazy old Ethan is, can you imagine, like, teenage dirtbag Ethan? (laughs) I I was on board with everything prior to, like, him seducing, quote, seducing Buffy. Um, I would have loved to see... I actually, because my brain goes there, I thought, John, that you were going to say... And then he tries to seduce Giles. 
I was going to be like, well, oh, right, of that, course. <laughs> that is the undercurrent of this episode and the undercurrent of every time Ethan appears on screen, and this is sadly his last appearance. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, apparently, according to trivia, uh, Ethan stays imprisoned by the government until his assassination or something in, like, in the, the comic, comic season eight, later yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Because it goes to also, I was just thinking in the comics later on in season eight, they do finally explore the Giles as a teenager again yes. tangent. So eventually, whoever's idea that was, they got what they wanted. I do. Yeah. Oh, good, Meg. I would love to hear your thought. I think I've loved that storyline. I haven't loved the comics consistently, but I did really like the way they did that storyline. Me too. I, I think it's one of the better arcs in yes. what has been an uneven season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was like. When they did it to Joe, when it, like when they had all that happen, I was like, I don't like this. And then I actually <sighs> did end up liking because, like, um, in the comics for John and Adam, uh, Giles. I, I feel like I can spoil it, right, Meg? It's not like it's I, been long enough. <laughs> absolutely, it's been out there long enough. Yeah. Um, Angel like kind of is evil and ends up snapping Giles's neck and killing what? Giles at the what? end of at the end of season eight. It's a big thing. Giles gets murdered. Um, Mm -hmm. and the Angel and Faith comic is all about him, he, like, determined to get retribution, determined to, like, pay back Buffy somehow and bring Giles back to life, and the way he, him and Faith end up doing it is that they bring him back to life, like, he comes back as a child. Um, and so the storyline, which actually, I'm saying it out loud, it doesn't sound as good, but I promise it actually is one of the better (laughs) storylines. It it reads out really well, it does. Yeah. Like, is this, like, how they bring back Spock in, like, the old movie series it is not unlike that and it's also like the episode of next generation called rascals where four members of the bridge crew are turned into uh early adolescents it reminds me very strongly of that i was on a star trek podcast (laughs) with rascals they effectively invent immortality and it never goes anywhere you know they do it again when they have to de-age dr pulaski and it's just one of those transporter Um, miracles but no scientist becomes interested in that and people definitely don't exploit it to become eternally youthful i'm with you it's ridiculous (laughs) i love the star trek aside um (laughs) (laughs) sorry i actually don't remember those episodes and i was like pretty big on star trek as a kid (laughs) star trek the next generation is on netflix in totality i know well so wait i'm gonna die don't everyone hang up on the call, but I'm going to tell you my popular <laughs> opinion. I have tried to revisit it, and I can't get that. There's a lot of them just sitting around talking. Yeah. And the dialogue doesn't pop that well for me now. Um, like, I don't mind people just sitting around talking, but it all, like... I need, like, a sassy character. I need, like, someone who's, like, <laughs> light a fire under their asses. But... It, it's definitely for the NPR crowd. I agree. Um, it, it's yeah. a Sheridan hotel in space. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, but okay, back to Buffy. Um, back to Buffy. So yeah, back to Buffy. So long story short, if if J.K. Rowling wrote Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> she would be like, Ethan. I always thought he was a homosexual. Maybe he's younger. <laughs> That they is. occasionally they occasionally allude to the idea that there was some Oxford method screwing going around, and they do it again with Wesley, but it's never expressly stated. Oh no! In in the the last episode I was on, they expressly <laughs> state I was that John is um, going to have a thing to say. <laughs> the thing stalking all of uh, Giles's old friends is this monster they conjured up when they were all like teen sex wizards, <laughs> and it's so like they all. Like yeah, it's like heavily and brought this thing out. Yeah, they did orgy, and you know, they, uh, they, British they schools are known for 
buggery, so we can hope. <laughs> right, and you know, Ethan's um, leering, menacing of Giles really only makes sense if he's like smugly alluding to a time they had they had sex. Head canonist accepted. <laughs> I know John. John has sold me on this. He sold me on it the minute he said it the first time he was on. I was like, yep, I agree. <laughs> I was going to say, I have a hardcore headcanon that uh, Buffy and Faith fucked at least once, so I have to be charitable in this department. <laughs> Interesting. When might that have happened? Uh, so that brief period when Faith was like sneaking her out of school and they were saying, but we're just good friends and all of that jazz and those brief shining moments where um, I thought it could be possible. Yeah. The Bad Girls um, episode. The Bad Girls. Okay. Right yeah. around there. Oh, yeah, Meg, I... Matthew and I both, like, we very much feel like... It's funny, I found a GIF set on Tumblr the other day that was Eliza Dushtrew being interviewed at Comic-Con. It's like, I want to say it's like her, Nicholas, Brendan, and Emma Caulfield at a table at Comic-Con. And she's just like, I mean... And it's like, she clearly is, like, trying not to. And then she, like, the look on her face, she goes, well, I think at least Faith had some feelings for Buffy and wanted to go... Like, she, like, agrees that at least Faith felt some kind of way. Um, and I was like, oh, good on you. I'm glad that you're not, because, like, I feel like, yeah, done. Um, so we get Spike moving out of Xander's basement, which I think is actually kind of, like, a cute moment. Um. His very well-lit basement. Yes. Um, I think, I love Anya being like, wait, we need to give you a gift. And then everyone's (laughs) being so shitty to her. Like, even Spike's being, like, Spike's being a dick to her. And Xander's being a dick to her, and I'm like, man, can't she get a break? Like, <laughs> she's trying to be nice. Listen, um, I would love to see an overview of of all of Buffy, just from like the perspective of friendship abuse, <laughs> because yeah. so there's so much. Just like your whole bad friend. <laughs> and Adam, I know I don't know if Meg and John, if you two have watched Lost, but Adam and I both love Lost. Lost does a lot of that, um, and Don't I feel like this season, I put it in my notes, gets very lost with, like, if you guys just communicated, you would have solved this fucking problem. Oh, there are, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's, a, there's well, so we're, many we're, episodes we're, of Buffy where if you guys could just get your shit together and say things out loud, things would be fixed. Right? Like... <laughs> like, that was literally the theme of the last episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's weird because, like, Yoko Factor has, like, a really fun vibe mm-hmm. and it really depends on that fun vibe because if it had an unfun vibe it would be so clear how not a problem everything that they're treating like a problem is right yeah and it's all very like because that's the thing lost and this type this season of buffy and then super season seven of buffy yeah they f- all follow that thing of like well the writers really 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 want an arc where someone is puppeteered into doing something. Yeah, and, they do. And they never, and, and they're never quite a Moriarty about it. Like, it's never, like, ingenious. It's always just, it requires a little dumbing down of the characters. Yeah, it's just Spike being a dick and everybody decides to believe him because reasons. <laughs> yeah. Because, because there you go. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we said so. Um, so, you know, Anya, so Anya actually makes a really good point when she says, when, cause she goes to give Spike a lamp and Spike's like, oh, I don't have electricity. And she says, what are you going to do about like keeping your blood fresh? What are you going to do about like plugging in a refrigerator if you don't have like running water and electricity? And he, he like says, that's a good point. And she's like, you should just get a hotel. But it's weird because that is a good point. But then he still does get to the 
crypt, but then he does end up having electricity because he watches TV. Yes, he does. I always imagine he must be stealing it from wherever's nearby. He just right. ran like 90 feet of electrical yeah, cable. A really long <laughs> one. <laughs> like a, just it, one rattling generator they all pretend not to hear. <laughs> it's just off screen. <laughs> um, so, then, so then we get Buffy going to see Professor Walsh to discuss being a slayer. Um... Because, which I actually do like the, Xander says, like, because Spike asks where Buffy is, which is actually, like, one of the first, oh, does Spike kind of feel some kind of way about Buffy? Because he says, like, oh, I don't know why she didn't come to see me off, um, mm-hmm. which is, like, why would she come see you off? You all hate each other. Um, and then Xander says, she's actually going to see someone who's still scary, and she's sitting with Maggie Walsh, Walsh which I think is a pretty good, because, <laughs> like, Maggie Walsh is intimidating, Um and she's definitely the professor I would be intimidated by. Um, but I do love... So that scene, you know, we learn, like, oh, she's talking to Buffy, blah, blah, blah. And just Buffy's... When she's like, "You, I thought you were a myth. And Buffy's like, well, you were myth-taken. Is just so fucking mm. cute and so perfectly, <laughs> like, Buffy. <laughs> it's good. And she, like, looks at see, Riley for validation. Like, see, did you see I said a funny thing? Um, and it's and just, he's like, no, no, we're having serious <laughs> yeah. time now. <laughs> I love the the tone mismatch between how Buffy treats her job and how Maggie Walsh thinks she yes. should treat her job. Yes. <laughs> Wait, so, Anne, you're saying you would be more in- intimidated by Maggie Walsh just as a, as a person running the initiative or as, like, your professor in college? I think I would be intimidated by her. I think I would be intimidated by her because she's very, like... Yeah. Because I feel like she would give me that immediate vibe of like, oh, you're that you're that professor who is very like, you're disagreeing with everything I'm saying. I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, she definitely is. Like, I feel like that's why at first she does like Buffy, because um, mm-hmm. you know, in what was it Wild at Heart or something? It's something blue where she Buffy does say like, oh, for a like professor who teaches human for a behavior. professor of human behavior you should yeah. try showing some yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Good and, friend. and then like right after mm-hmm. that she says to professor walsh says to riley like oh i like her um so she definitely is the type of person that like likes someone who's gonna confront them um right she, she actually reminds me of my eighth grade math teacher who i very much ended up liking but when i had her in eighth grade i was like very scared of her um and then she ended up being my tutor in high like in high school she tutored me for math and she ended up at, I've seen, I've run into her a few times since then, since, like, moving back home, and, like, she's very nice. But she's, like, a very intimidating, no-nonsense type of person. And she's not the head of a sinister government organization. Uh, One one (laughs) assumes, but you never know. (laughs) Um, No nonsense. I'm all nonsense. So I feel like a really good thing that they do here is when they're asking Buffy how many hostiles she's killed. And Riley... You know, I don't think Riley's as much of a problem as Xander, but Riley still is... I think Riley's, like, machismo bullshit gets in the way of him being a good person sometimes. Because, like, you know, he's like, oh, I've I've bagged 17 demons. How about you, Buffy? <laughs> and it's like, dude, she's a slayer, like... <laughs> I just start counting like how many episodes there's been. Yeah, like, like right. well, at least forty. <laughs> right, with at least one kill per episode. Yeah, one right. of the things I hate Riley. I absolutely hate Riley. I'm in the Riley hating club. But one of my favorite things about the the development of Riley is that he has to adjust his expectations of her over and over as yes. he realizes that she's she's not only like twice the man she is. She is 
orders of fucking magnitude a bigger yes. hero than he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, he has to like reconstruct his identity, which is a very college thing to do. Yes, it is. Which is like, all right, you had your identity kind of built around this, and that's kind of taking a hit. And you know, like, that's okay. You have to just kind of rebuild yourself in a probably a much better image because, like, Buffy doesn't want to be the Slayer; she has to be. Right. So. Like, you can't want to be this, like, killing machine. Otherwise, you're a psychopath. <laughs> right. And later in this episode, like, you definitely get the feeling that he is trying to win back some of his own, like, feeling of masculine pride by, like, constantly mentioning all the cool and incredibly illegal things he can do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, he has a master key. He can intercept phone calls. He's putting people in indefinite detention. <laughs> oh, it's a military industrial complex episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. It absolutely yeah. is. And there's also some really good, like, you mentioned they don't say how many hostiles she's killed. They just do a, a really good comedy cut. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like, the comedy direction in this episode mm. is really good. It, Like I said, I forgot it was this consistently funny. Yeah. I mean, I think Jana Spenson always, like, pulls it off really well. Um, I think she's one of the Buffy writers that can do this really well. Um, yeah, I just... It's a very solid script. Like, there's a lot of shoe leather, like, how did people get from X to Y in it, which is sometimes usually mm-hmm. glossed over. Yeah. And even scenes that exist solely so that the plot can move forward also, like, have some nice character beats, like the lesbian sex rose. Yes. Yes. Are we talking about that? No, now? we're not talking about that yet. When we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're gonna get there. Yeah. Um, I too. Oh God, I too okay. want to rush to that, but we have to, we have to be patient. <laughs> um, so you know, then we get Giles going to see Professor Walsh, um, which I do. No, he has the book first. Oh right. Well, he sees the book, which is also like, I mean, that's like you said. There's like some plot devicey. Like that's definitely like. What the hell is he looking at the book for? Like, mm-hmm. and I love that they play like this ominous music, and you're like, "Oh, there's gonna be a thing," and then there's a thing, and it's fine. Um, and I just want to say on the record that I am opposed to every single one of Giles's outfits in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he has never looked worse—a tweed blazer and a V-neck. Come on. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, exactly. I, like, I know. I'm like, mm, yes, that's done bad thing to wear. <laughs> I have a I have a strong preference for first and second season Giles when he's in his three-piece suit and it's just so tweedly British. It, it's funny so pushing up my glasses. Yeah, being the big nerd I am and I do like all the covers of like with the action figures. Um mm-hmm. I noticed that there was like I was like, "Oh, I can't use the Giles I've been using cuz he doesn't wear three-piece suits anymore." Like he completely like, because he's become a slob. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's also trying to get into that Anthony Stewart head does music too, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that that dad rocker thing. He's yes, doing. that is true. He definitely is going for that. Um, but actually, like the Giles I've been using for these is the Giles from season the like season seven Giles, which I guess is consistently his outfit. Aside from when yeah. he opens the magic box, I guess that's only when he starts wearing suits again. Is when he opens up a business. Because he has a job again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And he yeah. has no, the self-respect. He's, he's throughout. <laughs> yeah. John. <laughs> John wears a lot of suits, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But so Seven Giles is very like Sam Neill Jurassic Park a little bit. It's a little he's got. Well, actually, no, I would say Jurassic Park three, where he's just got that. Like, <laughs> That's a very specific reference. All y'all are picturing the same jacket on picture. <laughs> so Giles goes to see Professor Walsh. I wish we could have gotten more scenes of the two of them together because they're both. Oh, they really hate great. each other. <laughs> So I, yeah. much. <laughs> and and did you guys catch the uh, Minotaur reference? No. Mm-hmm. He, he he says he got he uh, he got lost trying to find the office. He says he felt a bit like Theseus in the labyrinth, but with no Minotaur. And then what does he become? A oh. Minotaur monster. Oh. Kind of. Someone's, uh, someone paid attention to the episode. <laughs> so I was thinking that when he says that, if he's in the labyrinth and he finds her, that makes her the Minotaur. It works on several levels. It does. And this this episode does a lot of planting to re- delay to reveal what a monster Maggie is. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. one of those sly glances mm-hmm. toward almost, you could say, foreshadowing. Oh. <laughs> 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 Clue gasp. Um, so, but I do have to say, Giles actually does cast the first stone in their, like, little, like, battle of, like, being rude but polite. Because he says, oh, Buffy quotes you all the time. She's starting to sound very Psychology 101 textbook. Mm. And mm. this is the first time watching it that I noticed. I was like, oh, Giles is actually shitty first. Like, Maggie Walsh isn't a good person, clearly. But he is shitty first. Which is kind of like a weird, almost ungiles like thing. But I, I get that we're supposed to... He's going through it. He's jealous. He, yes. you know... I mean, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that this is a thing that the show does really well to show like jealousy, not in romantic ways. Um, right. So this is parental jealousy, frankly. Yes. I mean, she's, she's transferring a lot of the authority that she's previously vested in Giles as a source of information, as a source of backup, yeah. as a source of truth into Maggie. And that's got to burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, right. Like, I feel like I'm like, I, I totally understand why he feels that way. Mm-hmm. Like I would probably feel exactly the same way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, season four is all like about deconstructing all of their characters. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse. And that's probably why a lot of people don't like it. Um, and why it is kind of hit and miss sometimes is because th- that can be a fun thing to do. It can also be a like, well, you know, people do like the comfort of a certain few, you know, mainstay things. We don't want to see Giles like go, we want to see Giles like think he's going to go off the rails but not go completely and you know they're dealing with some like tricky stuff with trials here that i think they land but in general like you can feel i is it the actor pulling away did he want to leave this or does anybody know if he wanted to leave or not right i wonder or about that too are they, are they just like mm-hmm. was it our writer's room they've just like trying to come up with something or was it literally like I always look for in reasons in story reasons I'm not looking I try try to avoid like did the actor one off the show did they get pregnant Mm -hmm. so they had to be written out whatever so my interpretation of season four is always that Buffy can't really attain adulthood unless the generation that keeps her safe is eliminated so she has to be Mm -hmm. separated from anyone she saw as a mother or a father figure in order to attain any kind of individuation so Giles Mm -hmm. Can't, can't be taken away away they certainly don't want to kill him but they do want to render him sort of bumbling and unimpressive the way that your parents become when you're an adult that's true mm. that's true very that's true. true 
All of our texts, even... all of our texts during the election, Adam, about our parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like bumbling, unimpressed. Correct. <laughs> so true. Um, but so, um, then we get. I actually really I so we get that Giles is like jealous. We're already set up for that, and then we get Giles. You know, so then he goes. He brings Xander and Willow with him to the crypt. That is very clearly the same set they use for as Spike's crypt later on. Um, oh yeah, for wherever he thinks this like spell thing is going to happen. Um, and I do demon prince. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do love. I mean, I think Giles does well when he's annoyed. I feel like when they have to show him being annoyed or being mad, Anthony Stewart head, I mean, this cast is great anyway. I mean, I'm a little biased, but um, <laughs> it's my favorite show. But I feel like the cast is so well, and he does so well being, like, annoyed. And Xander mm. and Willow are kind of, like, almost, like, humoring him, going with him, and, like, being like, no, it'll be okay. And, They're trying to protect his ego, yeah. basically. And, it's, it's, when by, and by doing that, it's making him feel even more insulted right. and pathetic. right. <laughs> Oh, I mean, he, he's, he is at his best when he's, like, paired with someone like Cordelia. Someone sort of just pressed and ready to, like, just sit right on his nerves there. <laughs> and he's too smart not to know when he's being uh, right. coddled or when he's being mollified. And he, he spots it every time. And you're right. It does make it worse for him. Yeah, that's mm. it's true. And, like, you know, I love him when it's almost weird because... You know, I mean, I've been go. Re- I've watched every season of the show a million fucking times, and I've been going through this season, you know, for the podcast. And it's really weird. Like, you know, not only does he just meet Riley, but he doesn't know that Riley's part of the initiative. And it's also insane because I feel like in any other show they could have gotten away with Giles knowing without showing us that he found out. Right. right. It would just be something that was known. And yeah. instead we get to watch him just lose his shit because no one tells him anything. <laughs> and it's Because so he's wonderful. the sad divorced dad. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> um, I just, I love when he, they're like, he's like, who else knew? And he's like, Anya, just Anya. <laughs> and Spike. Spike? Spike, Spike knew? <laughs> like, he's so pissed. And understandably so, like... Oh, yeah. I think that's the most animated we've ever seen him. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, like, it's just wonderful to watch. And, you know, Xander and Willow are, like, so bumbling, trying, like you said, protect his ego, but doing a terrible job and yeah. just, like, falling over themselves. And it's actually cute to watch them to try to coddle Giles and, like incredibly fail at it i feel like it's a really good buffy beat of like giles walking out and then ethan talking to himself and then giles being like what (laughs) it's a great undercut of like the villain monotone tv trope thing (laughs) yeah villain uh monologue sorry yeah ethan rain is he's not monotone (laughs) no he's not um yeah he's like delivering this like silly like twirling my mustache rice-esque line yeah (laughs) and delivery Mm-hmm. Because um, she can't be as hell. Yeah, um, I think that's another great strength of the essence in scripts is that she takes what you expect to happen in a horror film and then be like, nope. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Well, I, uh, not to derail, nope. uh, but I'm going to go derail. Uh, <laughs> one thing uh, Effenson writes does very well, and one thing she did very well on Mad Men is that she will write horror scenes in genres that aren't actually horror. Holy yeah. shit, she wrote for Mad Men too? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know that. She's written for like she's written for such like 
so many different huge shows. She is. She's really like jumped around. She's she's not stopped working. It's been amazing. Oh, that's crazy. And yeah. she's been on high profile, well regarded stuff. As far as I'm considered, as far as I'm concerned, she is the defining voice of Mad Men. She's oh. amazing for that show. I totally didn't know that. Huh, I learned something today, guys. <laughs> Man, good thing she didn't bring that up when she was on the podcast. Be like, when I was on Mad Men, and I was like, what? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I would have loved to have get that text from you. Like, I told you, Epstein. Yeah, so we get that. Um, oh, wait. Also, I should point out, I I didn't know what the hell a fishwife was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had to Google. I was like, oh, I've always just like shrugged this off as a funny, weird British thing that Giles says. Let me Google this. So I have the definition. I'm sure everyone else knows what it is but a coarse-mannered woman who is prone to shouting. <laughs> yeah, let me be the resident lady person for a yes. moment and let you know that if you can be accused of being shrill and screamy in any language, I know the word. <laughs> <laughs> Fishwife is not new to most women. <laughs> yeah, I realized that, like, up until this viewing, I realized I had always just, like, oh, Giles says that, and, like, his delivery is, like, good, so it just made me laugh anyway. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, I have two degrees, and I don't know what words are. Um, <laughs> Kudos to Giles for using an insult that originated in the Elizabethan era. <laughs> I mean, that is very Giles, Giles-y. I would have loved <laughs> if we genuinely could have gotten an episode of him and Ethan being like, ah, fuck it, let's get drunk, and like actually hanging out. Um, I enjoyed watching them just be drunk. Um, that was pretty good, although like, it does continue this series' weird relationship with alcohol. Right, yes, where it's like... Because, like, this... The central message, like the metaphor of this scene is if you get drunk with Ethan Rain and spend a night with him, he will turn you into a, mo- a horny monster. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Levels. I mean, there's like, I think it's in six or seven when they're all the bronze drinking and I think Dawn is like, oh, alcohol is for losers. And they all have this, their cups. <laughs> this show <laughs> is like reefer madness but with alcohol like it's so like <laughs> one drop I, I i really love drunk i mean i feel like i enjoy watching like certain shows when the like characters are really well done i enjoy watching them drunk just because it's nice like to see the characters like loosen up and be silly kind of like mm-hmm. i mean my favorite parts and Rex episode is the episode where they're all drunk on snake juice and there's like oh, yes. yeah what is it like that like three minute scene where they're all looking directly at the camera and drunk and drunk talking at the chat. Like I love that. (laughs) It's perfect. And Amy Poehler just nails that crying (laughs) upset monologue. Drunk Leslie Nope is my favorite Leslie Nope. (laughs) Um, But I really enjoy, I think Anthony Stewart head does a good job being drunk Giles. Um, And it's, this is more enjoyable to watch because when beer bad, you knew something bad was going on. Like you knew that, even when it was just Buffy drinking, like, you knew that they were hinting at something bad. And here, they're not quite... I mean, then something bad happens, but here it's not, like, an ominous feeling of, like, oh, he needs to stop drinking, something bad's gonna happen, something bad is happening. It's just kind of, like, Giles is, like, drowning his... This is him drowning his sorrows and complaining, but he's an adult and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Right. Um, but then it ends with, like, it, there is a punishment in the right, end. Right, there is, yes. Um, but the scene itself, I enjoy it. I enjoy... Hearing him complain about Maggie Walsh is like, Mm -hmm. he just, he fucking hates her. Um, (laughs) And like, I mean, I've even said in my notes, like, who can't, who can't relate to this jealousy? Um, But I also thought of you, John, when I was rewatching this, because when Ethan says, 
you know, you're really very really quite a, Yeah. That's a very interesting look he gets on his face. Right? <laughs> like, there's a half second where he's like... And, uh, you know, had the show been made a couple years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could have been a very different moment. Right. I, uh, I immediately <laughs> thought of you, John, and I was just like, like, in my notes it says, like, looking forward to what John has to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it feels definitely deliberate and um like they definitely have an unresolved tension otherwise the hostility and the also the smarm doesn't really make sense for ethan's character like he definitely feels weirdly possessive of him yes he does yeah um and i just it's such a it's such a weird beat that i'm megan adam uh, what do you guys do you guys think it was done on purpose like john does because i i go back and forth i'm like was this supposed to be like uh... No, it's one of those things where, I don't know, you know, I think this, for me, it goes into, I'm currently, when it comes to reading queer subtext into things, I'm usually all here for it. However, like, one day out of the week, I've usually just had a complete up to my, I've had it up to my neck with just (laughs) reading queer subjects into stuff, and I would like some text. Yeah, yeah. For God's sake, please. Um, like, again, normally I'm here for it, and I'm like, oh, Farley Granger in this scene looked at him this way, and then again, I'm always like so up on that. I'm that, I'm that guy. Um, but then, like now, like really, right today, you caught me on a day where I'm just like, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. If they didn't do it, then they didn't. Do it. If they don't show it, then they didn't do it. <laughs> Meg, that seems fair. Uh, I think that Ethan Rain pre- plays pretty neatly into the the evil fop. Uh, mm. caricature mm. and that uh, and that we get a little bit of his he's not quite a dandy but he is a little bit like sinister old school gay so I think it might be yeah it might be in line with that as an archetype and not indicative of anything between them so I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna come halfway well speaking as a stereotype of a sinister fop <laughs> uh, I'm always happy to see like representation <laughs> Yeah. Although I can smell your gardenia handkerchief. From <laughs> uh, I'll beat you with an opera cane. Uh, <laughs> although Ethan's fashions, I, I, I mentioned them before, but he's got a very international male catalog look. Oh, yes. Like, it comes up at the end of the episode. His like silk print. Hey, let's all go in the hot tub. Oh, shirt. yeah. 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 I, I just imagine the costume assistant walking back to the closet with a slip in her hand that says Euro trash. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, honestly to, to your point, I feel like with, with your original question, I feel like I don't think any of this was intended, but I do think, you know, to what Meg said is I think they very quickly nailed some coding on this guy. Mm-hmm. That maybe they were not aware of. It really has seeped into the groundwater of our consciousness over time. But um, yeah, they were they were harnessing some coding there. Mm. Um. So then we get we so we get the you know he gives the waitress his number, which is kind of important later for finding out where Ethan's staying. Then we get the first of many spells as lesbian sex scenes between Tara and Willow. Um. And I have to say, watching it in 2018, I'm like, this is pretty absurd. <laughs> it's like, going to be the, great like showing these to my kids and being like, why didn't they just show them kissing? I'm like, you see, they couldn't. So they had to so do it with this. the powder and the spell. 
spell and she floats and there's a rose and there's a thing. And God, it's, like, it's like a metaphor sandwich made on metaphor bread with extra metaphor mayo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Be careful much. That, that rose is going to spiral out of control. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, it's <laughs> what could that portend? I I even <laughs> I even feel like so it's weird. So okay, so hush, we meet Tara. Doomed Tara's not in it. And then this is the first time we're seeing Tara since Hush. Um and I'm even like, Willow, relax with the like our minds have to be perfectly at, at in tune and it's like all right relax a little like <laughs> like i might be a little put off by that if someone said that to me the second time we hung out even if i thought they were like a total babe like i might be like whoa like maybe their yeah. connection and hush is so strong and yes. so primal i mean they have that incredible locked eyes locked hands moment where they realize that they can attune their power to a single frequency I don't know. Again, as the resident lady person, that kind of thing goes a long way. Fair. All right. Fair. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, um, a thing that they do in this episode that they mention here and they mention with Ethan, which I don't, I think is one of the only things that doesn't quite groove, but I know it like has to be there for the season is like, we're supposed to assume the reason Tara and Willow's spell goes awry is because of, like, the initiative, right? Oh, no, I, I didn't mean Ethan's spell was what caused it to go wrong. Because Ethan talks about how there's dark mad, dark, dark things rising, hunting evil people. And for me, it feels like the initiative feels so, like, poo-poo that it almost feels like it's weird that Ethan would even... That would be a thing. I don't know. So I thought it was supposed to be... Oh. Does ever? Am I, I the only one that thought that? I thought it was supposed to be because of the initiative. That's why their spell goes wrong. I didn't think that at all. I thought it was that they overpower a very simple spell oh. because the combination of the two of them is just way too much for it to handle. It's it's like a, an overboiling kettle. Oh. Adam, what did you think? <laughs> I mean, I look, Meg's got it. I'm, I, like, I'm just like second it. Um, yeah, I, I think Meg, you sold me on that. Yeah, I think you just yeah. did it. <laughs> Um, all right, well, that, that solves that. Um, <laughs> and then I put in my, my notes, Tara is so adorable. I just love her so much. Um, Matthew's not here, so I need to gush about her for a little bit because we both love her. Um, I love her. Isn't she so cute? She's just like, uh, I feel like Tara is like so like pure oh, and precious. I just, she is the original cinnamon roll. She yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I also think a thing that they kind of do with her they almost go like she comes off like almost a little bit hippie, like hippie Wicca in this rather than yes. like heavy, heavy duty Wicca. Um, and I almost wonder if they were like playing with that at first, like, oh, which way do we want to go with Tara's character? Because um, there's I think in the, right. I think in the next episode she's in, she has like um, ponytails and she's just wearing like a baggy sweater, which almost feels untara like for what the Tara we know later on. <laughs> At first, it really does seem like she's kind of just a very, you know, Wiccan chill person who is kind of stumbling via Willow into this new world of <laughs> magic. Um, she's, she's not, though, because when, she, right. when we get her life story, you learn that her mother was a witch and she's right. not new to this. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, but like, I think like what Ian was saying is like, I, I don't know how much of that was laid initially. True. Like at true. first that's what she comes off of. And then 
like as we go into the end of season four, season five, that's when they like really start cementing her. But like right now, she seems like she's just in their. She's uh, pretty unformed. Yeah. 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 Who's I think you guys mentioned during the Hush episode that they have the mousiness dial turned up to 11 yes. on Sarah for the beginning. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I do think that's part of it. And I do think that's why they dress her the way they do. Although I'm going to come up with an out of story explanation just for once. Okay. Uh, I also I also think that the show uh, struggled to dress Tara correctly because Amber Benson has an almost normal human body type, right? Yeah. Instead of instead of being um, oh, with with, yeah. with respect to every woman's body and, and for it being exactly what it is, she's just not as thin yeah. as uh, as either Alison Hannigan or Sarah Michelle Gellar. Well, so they had they had to look at her differently, and and costume departments are frankly notoriously bad at that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, it's funny because, so in Hush, I, I do mention that, like, I interviewed her when I interned at BuzzFeed. She's mm-hmm. pretty small. Like, she's not, compared to the other, like, I think that you're right. They just didn't know how to dress someone who had, like, a vaguely, and I'm putting this in air quotes, like, normal body type. Um, yeah, no, she's, right, she's definitely on the thin side. It's right, just, yeah. It's, this, is, this is through Hollywood's weird right, hall of yes, mirrors. Exactly. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that, like, they gave her outfits that maybe weren't as flattering of like, yeah, like you said, like a, that kind of figure that's not super stick thin. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, yeah. I mean, they dress her in outfits that would not be out of place in like whatever Kathy Bates is like pot sitcom was like. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They dressed her as like kind of an old lady. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. Um, So then we get Giles waking up. Which is an excellent world of cardboard sequence. Like every time you think it's going to stop, it just gets bigger. Yeah, yeah, I think, I I mean, I think it's a credit to Anthony Stewart head that he's in all of this fucking monster makeup and he's still like (laughs) showing really good emotion and making us laugh. Um, And kudos to him for putting on all that monster makeup and what it appears to have been seven inch high stilettos. So he's really big, stomping around. And a big cowl with big shoulder prosthetics. Yes. I mean, he, he really strapped it on for this. He, yeah. he they went, yeah. Um, you know, even, and I made a gif of it just because it like made me laugh so much. Just like him looking in the mirror. Like one, him yawning as a silly big giant monster is absurd. And then when he looks in the mirror and he's just like, oh, his like reaction to seeing himself is so good. Um, and then like you said, John, like hit, like, he then breaks everything, and it's wonderful. And I, it's like weird. Like I don't know why, but like the end of it of him like opening the door and the door breaking off is so cartoonish. But I still like laughed out loud. Here's like a side side question for you guys. It struck me revisiting this episode. It struck me that like, why didn't Giles move to a different apartment like after <laughs> the whole Jenny Calendar stuff? Like literally, if I like. If I was in that situation, I found Jenny Calendar dead on yeah. my bed. That place might be like, if I move, maybe the memories are around there. It's just weird. Adam, I don't, on a I librarian out of body experience. <laughs> <laughs> move? Are you kidding? Also, California real estate is always a horror show. I mean, even on a horror show, it's a horror <laughs> show. <laughs> Although they do, they, they do in universe explain that Sunnydale has an unusually low. Uh, re- um, property market for some oh, reason. Oh, you're right. You're right, right, they yeah. do. <laughs> Probably because of all the high murder rates. Yeah. 
Because like, the thing. I, just, I was just watching him as I, I think I think because I'm not aware of the apartment as much until he started like smashing it. Well, right, and, and then because, I was, and then I was like, oh, the staircase he climbed when he found Jimmy. Dad. Why is he there? So. <laughs> because also they don't show him going up to it. Like lots of times, like when him and Olivia and Hush are coming out, they're coming out from behind the kitchen. Where oh, yeah, his they were bedroom, in the kitchen. Yeah, where his bedroom is not. Like, we know his bedroom yeah. is up those steps. Um, I mean, good for them. Wait yeah. a minute, you're blowing my mind. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> pause, pause the podcast. Um, no, that's crazy. Okay, wow. This is, yeah. this is the use of, this is the true utility of this podcast. Discovering little moments like this. Yes, they, they screwed in the kitchen. Yeah, they absolutely did. And probably on the couch, too. Like, yeah. she got the full tour. Yeah, I mean, good for her. She flew to Sunnydale, got, got some, got, got laid, and then, you know, saw some scary monsters and left. So... Yeah. She's the only yeah. sensible person to come to Sunnydale. For the distance that she traveled and for the amount of bullshit she puts up with, I hope the dick was truly legendary. Right? I, yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Giles breaks the door off, and then we get um, Buffy and Willow at breakfast. Um, mm. Where they're, they're doing the most not... Where Willow... It's the first time that Willow lies to Buffy about Tara. Um... Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we're all queer. I feel like we all mm-hmm. can feel that feeling. Or at yeah. one point... I've never lied in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a liar. I'm just very discreet. <laughs> I have multiple realities. I don't um, Yeah, I, I, like, I don't think I ever watched it through that lens. I mean, you know, because a lot of us don't come out. And even if people are accepting, you still don't come out right away because you get, like, nervous insecurities. But I feel like... It's just your friend to be weird to you now. Yeah. You just, it's like, it's right. not like, it's just like, oh, she's going to be weird. And Buffy, fuck, she is, she gets weird. Yeah. She gets she a little was, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like... Also, to be fair, Buffy is too wrapped up in her own relationship to notice what's going on I around was, her. I was going to say, also, Buffy doesn't shut up about Riley the entire time they're at breakfast. Um, yeah, she's the worst yeah like she yeah it's weird because i almost feel like and i mean Matt, this is where matthew would come in and he would say to us don't marry your high school sweetheart um, <laughs> yes my god but i almost yeah. feel like angel grounded her a little bit more with that um, uh, oh everybody like... everybody got sucked into the chaos maelstrom <laughs> of angel are you kidding me oh my, every time she paid somebody everybody pays the price <laughs> Fair. Honestly, I, I just think she's happy she has a boyfriend she can tell people about. That's, uh, that's also yeah. true. That's that true. is a big change. And yeah. although I, I, at the first viewing, I definitely resented Willow for lying here about Tara. I'm not sure if it's true or if she's just being ultra smooth later. But when she tells Tara she wants to have something that's just hers, I mean, I bought <laughs> it. I fell for it. I was like, yes, okay. We could be secret <laughs> friends. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. I right. Mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a classic, like, trick to drag your significant other back into the closet. Exactly. Like, no, exactly. this is just us and me and da da da. Yeah. I don't want to put a label on this. Let's, not, <laughs> let's enjoy ourselves without me having to decide anything and make any it's, choice. That's yeah. funny that you guys would say that because being out, I've actually dated guys who have been like who have said like dumb things like Oh, don't post a, don't post a picture of us. And for me, that's always what? Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Where it's like, where it's and like, they're not even in the closet. It's just like, 
oh, I know what you're doing. You're keeping your options open. I'm not an asshole, but then I still, like, mm-hmm. I am an asshole, and I go with it, so, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well. Um. <laughs> um, so, and I really love him as a demon coming into Xander's basement and then being like, are you still asleep? It's 1030 in the morning. And he's like this giant demon, but he's like annoyed that Xander's asleep. <laughs> he's, um, he's always very disappointed in Xander, as we should all be. Yes, as we should be. He reminds yes. Xander of what a grown up acts like. And Xander just never gets the hint. <laughs> um, listen, I sleep. I also sleep late. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not the people who sleep later inherently not adults, but um, you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I I, I sleep late because I'm hunting vampires. <laughs> I have a reason. That's my experience too. Um, <laughs> but so I do love that scene, and and you know, I I kept thinking like, can't Giles just like grab a pen and like write something? Yet? But I mean, he probably would break it. Um, mm. And you know, then he has to go see Spike. Which, uh, well, he doesn't have to. He runs into Spike. Stumbles upon Spike. Yeah. Um, who has yeah. a measuring tape, because he's measuring crypts. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's picking out drapes. Um, yeah. And I really love all of Spike and <laughs> Giles together. Like, I like that Spike almost immediately is like, Giles? <laughs> um, it's, I, I think that, like, they both go well together as actors and as characters. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the actors have a lot of like natural seeming charisma. Yeah, uh, with each they other, do. and uh, Spike sort of works as a foil foil to Giles because Spike absolutely could not care less about him <laughs> or any of his emotions or his priorities. It's just complete absence of caring, and that makes Giles so angry and upset. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, outside of story, did you guys know that Anthony Stewart had helped James Marsters to develop his English accent? I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, that James yeah. Marsder, I think, has one of the best English accents of some. I was so yeah. no, yeah. I was super heartbroken when I found out that wasn't his real accent. <laughs> I, it was I just years of spank bank material in the trash. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I, I even heard him speak, and I don't have seen him in any other thing, so I can just pretend. He's British. Yeah, Once mistaken. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's weird because I thought he was British, but I thought he was like an affecting a Johnny Rotten accent. Oh. <laughs> you know, he, he has like a, an everyman American accent. I was. I was. It's very confused. upsetting. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm sorry that I've passed this on to you now. Truly, but I, I needed to tell someone yeah. I've held it inside for so long. It's like the ring, you know. <laughs> I was. Gonna, I was about to say the crud. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I I think their their off screen uh, camaraderie really plays very well into this like perverse father son dynamic that they develop. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Giles has to be everybody's dad. He does, well, and Spike they, can't they, be anything but the annoying little brother. Yeah, I yep. mean, like Giles is trading the the teenage daughter figure for the teenage son figure who doesn't give a. Uh, (laughs) anything that comes out of his mouth and he still just keeps giving um that was less invalidated i think with the teenage daughter situation it's more of like you know he's more aware of when the ebb and flow is not taking place back and forth of like is he helping at all but with spike he definitely was like you know he could he could last a little longer thinking he was helping this person kind of see the way yeah Mm -hmm. because the you know because 
he's acting how he always acted. I mean, all of the scenes, what, I think next is Giles and Spike in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The poor Citron! <laughs> yeah, I just... Yeah, the poor beaten Citron. I adore it, all two of its horsepowers. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can't find third gear, don't go for third gear. <laughs> um i wouldn't know how to drive that car either probably um no (laughs) i think i had a friend in high school try to teach me how to drive stick and it did not work well um yeah so i like so is it here yeah i think it is here when giles is like kind of just like blah 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 blah, telling him what they need to do and then is like ooh, pull over and sees maggie walsh Um, (laughs) i think it's one of the best like giles moments in the series um it's just so good and so petty and, like, not quite like Giles, but makes sense in the context of this episode. And, like, we all are kind of like, yeah, you go scare Maggie Walsh. <laughs> well, I think when he acts this way, it honors that he came from not a nerdy place. He originated in a shit-starting place. Yeah, and every once in a while, yeah. we get reminded that he's Ripper. And I love when we get reminded that he's Ripper. Yeah. Like, when you <laughs> oh, get yeah. right down to yeah. it, he is a little shit inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like that, that whole stuffy Oxbridge thing. Like, that's a role he's playing. Yeah, that's learned behavior. <laughs> yeah, like, deep down inside, he is a <laughs> little shit. A little shit, yes. <laughs> a little shit, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's... It's such a weird moment and beat for the show, but I love it as I'm losing my place. I'm like, eh, where's Matthew? Um, normally he's the one that keeps us, like... Um, oh, that's me. That's my job. Oh, yeah. No, so the, we, go from, we go from there to the Scoobies figuring out right, that he's yes. a, that there's a feral demon that right. it attacked Maggie, yeah, that it's loose, that they probably killed Giles, blah, blah, blah. She's breaking into the magic shop. She's. This is when we start to get that right. magic shop. And Anya picks up his jacket and is like, he, I think the demon ate him up. Right. Nope, it ate him up. Yeah. And there's that Riley subplot about him being feeling upset that he's not as strong as her and blah. There's only so many hours in a day we can skip Riley. <laughs> Seriously. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody listening is right now. It's perfectly fine. I'm sure everybody <laughs> listening, you cool if we skip Riley? Yeah, yeah he's Captain Irrelevant. Can, yeah. <laughs> um, which I mean, like, they really do... And I mean, I think this is maybe the first episode where they like kind of show you all the problems with Riley and Buffy that they and the problems never go away. They're just there until Riley's like, okay, I'm leaving. Um, I have to go jump out of planes for a living. (laughs) Yeah. like (laughs) um, You know, I think that he's like, um, I think it was you, John, earlier said he's always having to like, like change his expectations and change what he thinks. And it's because he wants to be, like, the man of the relationship. And as you said, Meg, she's ten times, like, more powerful than him. She oh, yeah. knows her shit. Like, and Riley's, Riley wants order. Riley wants orders. He wants to take orders. He wants everything to be a hierarchy of orders. And Buffy doesn't right. give a shit about orders. She gave yeah. that up at the end of season three. But she didn't care about them even before that. Like, yeah, even then she wasn't good at following them. Yeah. She always, she immediately decides what course of action she will take, and she takes it. Yes. She doesn't wait yeah. for anybody to confirm that, and he never gets used to that about her. Yeah. Well, never. Buffy's job is more chaotic than Riley's. Riley's is enjoying up until this point. He's mm-hmm. enjoying a calm, well-ordered life of no surprises, um, controlled surprises. Buffy was constantly going from one task to another. It was always chaotic. 
Um, and then he brings, and then she brings that chaos kind of into his life in a good way. Um, that's kind of the rom-com way of saying it, uh, where, you know, he was like, ah, I was doing fine until you showed up, but I love you. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it is. Um, he was kind of enjoying the privilege of just nothing too crazy happened in his life up until now. Mm-hmm. And he can't really, can't, he's not equipped to do that. Yes, he is. He is not equipped at all. He yeah. is very poorly equipped. Um, and it's also really weird. This episode, we like. I always think of it as Giles a demon is the demon the whole episode, but he really is only a demon for what, like the last twenty minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's um, it's the third it's act, like a, of the fifth act. Yeah, yeah. there you yeah. go. I wanted to point out, Ethan Rain is staying in the same hotel that Faith stayed at, the Sunnydale Motor Inn. Um, Correct. So that's because uh, there's only the one thing of one thing. There's no one hotel. There is no competition in this town. There's like 85 cemeteries in yeah. one motel. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I love I love the way that this episode resolves. I love that Buffy recognizes Giles no matter what, and yes. that she reminds him of it later uh, when she's in the wrong body. And she's like, I did this for you. Can't you yeah. do this for me? <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I, yeah. That's, I, I, this, this show is really good with the callbacks. They always so kind of like really know when to lace it back to a shared history. And that really kind of goes a long way for an audience, especially a modern audience. That's why I think the show holds up so well at the end. <laughs> <laughs> end of podcast forever <laughs> end of podcast thank you everyone. <laughs> it also it keeps the show from being episodic in the way that a lot of these mm-hmm. longer dramas ended up being it, it really focuses on the meta plot and the continued union between these characters like that's why i invested that's why i stayed keyed in throughout yeah yeah i mean i mean i've, I've told this to ian a million times but buffy is you know i i may love other shows more um like you know say lost or exiles or uh, Twin Peaks or something like that and Buffy's in part of that quartet but Buffy of all of those is the one show that never really disappeared up its own ass with the mythology like it always yeah. kind of everything kind of nothing really contradicted itself too much it always seemed to kind of just you're never watching it being like no that doesn't make sense that season 5 they did it differently you know it's there's there's not a it doesn't go completely off the rails at any one point no. it's yeah, always the, the co- the continuity is. is real, the meta plot is real, and it continually grounds itself against real life, which is, I, I yeah. think, why it, it's so enduring. Yeah. Also, I think Buffy trusts its audience. It believes that we're following along with that kind of fervor and that kind of love, and it knows that we're going to catch it if it's trying deliberately to mislead us, or frankly, trying to be an asshole to us, which was my overall problem with Lost. <laughs> Every. Every third episode or so, I swear to God, somebody walked by the camera with a middle finger up. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I I think the Giles asks her, how did you realize it was me? And I think it's such so cute. And she says, your eyes, you're the only person in the world can look that annoyed with me. Um, <laughs> and I literally just put a bunch of hearts in my notes because I think Yay. that's so fucking precious. And their relationship is just so well done. Um, he's such a good disappointed dad. <laughs> I mean, he's my favorite example of non-toxic masculinity. Hey, you know, uh, he, he nice. just, he really wants to help and help you improve. He, he, he wants to help Anya. He has a clear sen- sense of his boundaries. He never tries to, to justify his identity against a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> like 
I could go on and on. He's TV's best dad. Oh, guys, it makes me happy that we're all in agreement. Um, Giles, yeah. Giles, so, love fest time. All right, so I think we've come to this point. Guys, what do we think Dawn would have been doing if she had to be in, be in this episode? Oh, oh my God. Oh. Meg, we'll start with you. I hate Dawn so much. No. <laughs> I am a Dawn apologist. <laughs> I know you are. I remember, I, I respect that about you, and I respect your work throughout the podcast if she's the worst. So I'm going to say if Dawn were in this episode, she would find a way to fall down some stairs, get kidnapped, shriek through the entire third act, and then disappear. <laughs> Amazing. Um, John? <laughs> um, hmm. Somehow interact with demonified Giles in a way that is completely flippant and nonchalant. <laughs> all right. Mm. Like, doesn't phase her at all. I think Dawn, well, A, she's wherever they stuck Joyce in all this. <laughs> right. She's behind that brick wall or wherever they put Joyce in the end. They're at Disneyland. She's at, yeah. They, oh, uh, they, They're on a cruise. They're right. And Buffy, right. Buffy couldn't go because fuck her. Right. Exactly. Well, no, no, no. She would have been at the birthday. So she would have been at the birthday. Um, was Joyce at that birthday? Am I crazy? No, was no, she no, not no, at the birthday? No. no, she's not in this episode at all. No, we, we, so we really crazy. don't see okay. Joyce until the Faith episode. All right. Here, I'm going to go super left field. Right. Joyce took Dawn like out of state for some, there was like, like there was some sort of like competition thing that Dawn was partaking in. She was trying to get Dawn to be more like social at school. Uh, yeah, Dawn got into competitive screaming. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say sparkle motion. She lost. <laughs> yeah, she sparkle motion. Yeah, so they were in Sparkle Motion. They were in. Uh, they had to go up to Seattle for that. So they they're they're up there taking pictures and shit. Okay, so crossover with Fraser. I <laughs> oh Anthony Olivero would be so happy to hear that. Um, so I think that when Giles went to scare Maggie Walsh, that Dawn and Joyce would have been in the street, like from shopping or from leaving the espresso pump, and oh. he would have seen them. And Dawn would have screamed her big Dawn scream, and that's when he would have ran back into the car with Spike. <laughs> oh my um, god, what a, what a waste. We would have missed that wonderful moment. <laughs> <laughs> this okay, has probably more robbed, spot on. He would have robbed Giles of some of the fun of that moment. Like, he doesn't want to scare people he yeah. likes. He wants yeah. to scare that Harridan. Yeah. <laughs> but does he like Dawn? No, I think he does. Mark, he, I he cares think about her. He does. He um, does. So, favorite outfit, Adam? Um, I like the uh, tartan blanket that he has to sling over his demon shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) His shawl. His shawl. Meg? Uh, I like that throughout the season with Riley, for some reason, Buffy keeps wearing these sparkly little kerchiefs on her head. I believe this episode has one of those. I think it does. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it it almost it makes me feel like there's a there's a small sort of signaling that she's trying to be more traditional and yeah she's wearing it when she throws him she's trying uh, yeah. to be like look at me I'm a submissive help meet no yeah. really I've covered my hair but it's all a lie but then I throw you across the room yeah um, <laughs> John uh, well I've already mentioned before my extreme displeasure <laughs> in all of Giles's outfits and the Faith uh, <laughs> and Rain's outfits but uh, I just uh, I want to call attention to what the hell is Willow wearing? Oh my God! Is your is your calling attention to going to be my favorite outfit? 
Like, it's the first outfit we see. She's wearing a lot of, like, small applique sweaters in really weird colors. Yes. You're damn right she is. And Ian, what your favorite outfit is. (laughs) Um, My favorite outfit is literally Willow's really silly gray sweater with the fucking rainbow and two stars on it. Which is what, yeah. (laughs) Is she 12? (laughs) I love it. It's so silly. Um, Like, I feel like I could buy that at Hot Topic now, and I would. (laughs) <laughs> Look, she may have magical powers, but fashion is not one of them. <laughs> I don't know. When, when Willow goes toward her big bad phase, when her clothes get witchier and witchier, there is yes. nothing she wears in that in that arc that I would not gleefully put on my body. <laughs> well, that, well, that's different. She's going like full adult goth then, and full adult goth is yeah. an acceptable look. <laughs> but yeah. no, she, yes, but it's, it like, it's like Ren goth. There's like mm. a gown, there's like a long single gowniness to him. There is. It's true. Oh, it's season season six, they totally play up. Like Willow and they're like Willow and Tara are witches. Like here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're witches who are also Disney princesses on yeah. their way to a red pair. Definitely. Yeah. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's what I always think of as how Tara dresses, but like she doesn't quite dress like that in the beginning at all. Like <laughs> she's kind of more like hippie-ish. Um, so favorite scene, John. Uh. Probably when Giles wakes up. Uh, like that whole sequence. Adam? Uh, I really like... Um, I, li- I liked the, the carrying on, the, the, the two guys night out, the drinking, that sort of stuff right. like that. I, I, like, I like where this show starts to peek out of the teen box a little bit and just follows Giles around on his own. Uh, Meg? Uh, the scene between the Fjarl demon Giles and Spike in the cemetery where Spike's just like, yeah, I happen to speak Fjarl. <laughs> it's so good. It's so quick and witty and they're so good to each other as spoils. I love that. Okay. Um, mine is a tie between Giles waking up and Giles scaring Maggie Walsh because I, I love it. Um, I love Petty Giles and I love like Annoyed Giles um, and Demon Smash Giles. Um, so... <laughs> Now, we'll grade the episode on a scale of A to F. Uh, Meg? I would say this is a A minus of an episode. Okay. Uh, John? B plus. All right. Adam? You know, I normally do a B plus. I'm going to go A minus on this one because I I, I want to try to start grading these episodes on what they set out to accomplish because it's easy to give Hush an A and I'll mm. give this one a B. But I think this one was tasked with being, you know, a mid-season kind of let's let's do a little character business, let's do a little yeah. funny business, and it succeeded. So A minus. That's fair. All right. I mean, I give it a straight B. Um, okay, you're gonna be the harsh teacher. I know. You're the know. Russian judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally, normally Matthew is the hard grader. I'm normally the easier grader. Um, a B is still good though. I still love it. Um, I have trouble giving Buffy anything below like. I think I've given, like, two episodes a C, maybe. Um, I agree with that. There's I, two Cs in this, at least. Yeah, but, like, other than that, I'm always like, oh, A or B. Um, so, thank you guys for being on. Yeah. For thank you for really guest hosting, good. Adam. Oh, thank you. Yeah, good team. Let's get Matthew back. But uh. I, 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 I'm going <laughs> to 
I think we can all agree. Uh, no, I this was this was this was highly enjoyable, and I don't often get to rewatch a new man, so this was a treasure. All right, um, and if you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at IanXCarlos and Adam uh, at the Adam Sass. And Meg, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Meg Elison and uh, my website where I talk about writing science fiction and feminist theory and satire and fun stuff is MegElison.com. Hey, and John? Uh, I am on the Twitter at LevittAlone, L-E-A-V-I-T-T, alone, all one word. And uh, same thing, that LevittAlone.com is my website with all links to my writing and art. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks so much for doing this, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.